Hey, what's going on out there in pandemic land? How the hell are you all doing? This is Jim. I suppose you don't know who I am, so I should introduce myself. My name is Jim. Uh, I've gotten the sense that there are some random people out there on the internet who are finding this and listening to it for some reason. So, standard header. This is something I just started during the shelter in place, the coronavirus during 2020. I did it when I was holed up in my place in San Francisco. I really don't plan anything for any of these. I don't uh, don't sit down and script out material. No, I don't edit these things. I don't add on intro music like the professionals do. I don't do any of that. I just sort of turn this thing on, start recording an ad lib. And I did that more or less to keep myself sane when I was holed up in a city where I really didn't know anyone well enough to get together with this virus going around. So it's like, okay, I don't really have anyone to talk to. I'm going to turn this thing on and talk to myself. And occasionally I record an episode and I publish it to the world. So that that is my disclaimer. Do not expect much. I'm managing expectations here. That's what they tell you to do, right? Yeah. Anyway, I am no longer in California. I am actually in the Detroit area. Uh, last couple episodes I did, I was uh, podcasting from the road on the highway in the middle of, I think it was Nebraska, Wyoming. Basically out there where they're, uh, you know, in, in farmland, just driving through miles and miles of farm. And that was a beautiful drive. But I'm back in Detroit for the next, at least the next few months. And yeah, crashing with my parents. I decided if I'm going to be holed up by myself in a city where I don't know anyone and I can really work from anywhere, uh, might as well go back to my place of origin, do the whole Homer's Odyssey thing, go back to your where you came from after going out in the world and uh, fighting for things. Go back and, and see exactly what the hell is at my roots. So yeah, I'm crashing with my parents. I've been here for about two weeks. It's going pretty well so far. And yeah, I just stepped out today. Uh, it's what, what day of the day? It's Sunday. I haven't been working for so long. That's when I realized I need to get back to work. I haven't been working for the last six months. About a month ago, I think, when I was still in San Francisco, I had this day where I just was sitting there and I was like, I don't know what day it is. Like for a while, I just sort of felt like, so if you wake up at, at, at the same time, like early to go to work and suddenly you don't have a job, you'll continue waking up early even if you don't have to. You know, for the same reason, like the way you're kind of attuned to a daily cycle, I was attuned to the weekly cycle. I knew when the weekend was, like, oh, yeah, it's Saturday. I may not be working. I may like, it may just be like every other goddamn day. But I was like, yeah, it felt like Saturday and Sunday were different somehow. I don't know why. I felt like more pressure to look for a job on weekdays, like I should be doing something. Otherwise, honoring both of the Sabbath days. That's why I like, I like it we get both. You know, we would get both the Jewish and the Christian Sabbath. So we get two days. Um yeah, and maybe I want. Is there another religion that gets Friday off? We just need to appropriate that one. 
into our mythology. That's what the Mormons need to do. The Mormons need to get on this shit. They need to get on. We're going to take Friday off because that's our holy day. And then that just spreads throughout the country. And then we get a three-day weekend. It's the only way it's going to happen is if we get it for religious reasons. So come on. Where are you on this? You damn Latter-day Saints. <laughs> okay, let's see. Where was it? Oh, uh, yeah, Sunday. It is Sunday. So I am. I went out for a drive, uh, cruising around bookstores. That's what I always do. I always just go to bookstores and loiter. I like I like bookstores where I can just buy a lot of things cheaply. That's that's what I'll do. I usually go and just walk out with a stack, even though I don't need any more books. So if I can just go somewhere where things are dirt cheap, that's the best thing for my wallet. Because it's not like I go into a bookstore and leave without buying something. When the hell do I ever do that? Never. It does. That just does not. It's not a thing I do. But now I'm at the. You know, my parents live in Auburn Hills, so now I'm at the Auburn Hills uh, Civic Center. There's actually a little disc golf course here. A uh, whole bunch of like trails going through the woods. This is where City Hall is, the library. Uh, there's this old mansion too, which I think is this is the Seaburn Mansion. I'm sitting right in front of it now. It's this big old abandoned building, which doesn't look much like a mansion. It looks like, when I think like mansion, historical mansion from the 1930s, I don't picture the building that's sitting in front of it. This just looks like it's got normal paneling. It's like white paneling and it's big. I think it has two stories, but it's not, it's not grandiose. You know, I think mansion, I think like Victorian house, like the one Norman Bates walked back up to where he kept his mother's body stashed. That sort of thing. Like this is, I think the exterior has been done to have it match all the other buildings around here because, yeah, it's just it's just been just been reworked to match, which is unfortunate. I wish I could see what it looked like back when the dude who built it lived here. Anyway, I think all this property that is now city park civic center property used to just be part of this guy's land, Seaburn, whoever he is. is that even his name? It's got to be a sign around here. It's like every single street is named after him. There's signs everywhere. Eh, it doesn't matter. What the hell am I looking? Yeah, so I'm sitting in the Civic Center, just sort of sitting in my car uh, to podcast. I've, I've been trying to figure out where I can do this in my parents' place. I really... So before I moved home, I thought, okay, I'm going to live with my parents. This is going to be potentially very, very stressful. Because living with your parents is, of course, as many of you might know, kind of like that. If you've got issues you haven't worked through, you know, it's probably going to activate some shit. So it's definitely, it wasn't a decision I took lightly. I had to think about it. Is this really a good idea? Like, I do want to see my parents, but do I want to see them that much? But so I, I called ahead and I, I said, like, I'm thinking about doing this. The only thing I need is I, I need a place where I can sleep, where I can shut the door, and a place where I can work, like with a desk and an office chair, where I can also shut the door. Just two separate rooms. And they had both of those things. They have two rooms upstairs. They pretty much live on the first floor. The second floor is my dad has his man cave up there, but he doesn't hang out in that all the time anymore. It used to be just like where he lived. 
he's kind of stays on the on the main level. He he prefers to watch television with my mother down in the living room. So the second floor of the house is largely mine most of the time. There's not a kitchen up there, but it's been going just fine, actually. Yeah, it has been really, really good to see them. And it has been good to be back in Michigan. Okay, so I think I think I did a I did a podcast. This is one I didn't publish, but I was talking into the recorder. I was recording some sort of podcast when I entered Michigan. Or when when I was about to enter Michigan. Like I was basically hitting ninety four for the first time. And I was hitting traffic, and that's when I signed off. But I don't think I published that one, and even if I did, I don't think anybody listened to that one. Anyway, it ended, and there was a whole bunch of traffic. I was over in the left lane, and it was pretty much stop and go. And it looked like there was something up ahead. Like, you could just look at the... You know, you pull up the, like Google Maps or Apple Maps, and you say, like, okay, well, how far does the red line go? Like, when does traffic clear up? Okay, looks like it clears up about half a mile. It suddenly goes green. That means there's just some, some stupid stuff happening up ahead. People are slowing down to watch a cop give a parking ticket. It's okay. Just be patient. Which is actually kind of a blessing, you know, like if, if you like look at it and you say, okay, it's, it's basically red for the next 20 miles, you can just pull off and wait. It's so good that you can just figure that out. You know, you, you know, should I stay the course? Should I stay or should I go? Uh, um, but no, no. So I had, I had traffic. There was clearly something going on up ahead. I didn't know what it was. And just after I stopped recording, I hear sirens and I look in my rearview mirror and there's an ambulance cutting across traffic trying to get through, uh, with a, with a fire truck. And so, you know, I, I'm in the left lane. There's a shoulder on the left on this highway. And so I, I do exactly what you're, you're programmed to do. I just pull out, out of traffic onto the left shoulder to get out of the way. And no sooner had I done that, but I look over in the, in the, in the rearview mirror and like the ambulance is like right behind me. Essentially, they were cutting over through traffic to get to the left shoulder to plow up ahead to whatever was going on. And so they're like, the guy in the ambulance is like waving, like, get the hell out of my way, man. Like, what would, so I had like, for some reason, nobody else did that. I was the only person that did that. Everybody else, I guess, saw where the ambulance was headed and they pulled over towards the right. I guess I misread the signals. Anyway, so I had to whip back over to the right. It was easy. Everybody was out of my way. And then they cruised up. I was like, yeah, okay, smooth move. Sometimes your training, what you've been programmed to do, just doesn't, isn't quite right. Anyway, I just thought it was, I thought it was funny. Uh, anyway, yeah, so they, they got out, there was a car accident and everything cleared. And honestly, it was a wonderful drive across the country. It was pretty much stressless. It was just you know, a beautiful drive through uh, farm fields and some desert. And 
uh, until I got to Michigan. Like, I feel like as soon as I entered Michigan, it was 94, which is a two-lane highway. And as soon as I got to Michigan, I, people here drive really, really fast. And it, it was a Friday. I don't know if it was just that, but the, the highway was really crowded. 94 going across the entire state. I was in the left lane and I was like, okay, if you if you want to be in the left lane, people, I know you all know this, but some of you don't. If you're in the left lane, you have to go fast. And if you want to go slower than the people in the left lane, you got to get over to the right and cruise there. So the right lane was going pretty slow, as in it was going the speed limit. So I got over to the left. And the left lane was going about 90, maybe 95. Like if I was going 85, which was 15 over the speed limit, there was somebody on my ass wanting to go faster. And it was too crowded that I couldn't like just get over, let them by. And then, so I, I just sped up. And it didn't really matter how fast I went. I got up to 90. That seemed to be mostly comfortable, but there was almost always somebody who wanted to go faster than that and was on my ass like, out of my way. And like, I couldn't really quite get over to like, to, to the right to let them pass me. You know, so it's like, okay, I just, you have to be patient with me. I'll get over and get out of your way as soon as I can. But I'm not pushing the speed limit anymore. Uh, but that was the way it was across most of the state. As a matter of fact, towards the end, I was like, the hell with this. I just got over to the right. I was like, I'm just going to cruise comfortably at, at about the speed limit in the right lane. And then it's like you, you have the opposite problem. Like there are people in the left lane who want to go faster than the left lane. So the 90 is not fast enough for them. So they get behind you and ride your ass. Like they think you should get out of their way somehow. Like I'm trying to use the right lane to overtake the left. So I'm going to drive on your ass to get you to speed up so I can pass them. It was either that, whichever lane I was in, I couldn't win. There was somebody who wanted to go faster. And I really couldn't just get the hell out of their way. By the time I reached Ann Arbor, which was most of the way to Detroit, most of the way across the state, I was like, you know, I, I don't even care. I kind of was like just ignoring what was ever going on in my in my rearview mirror. It's like I, I don't even give a shit. It's like, hey, welcome back. I do remember hearing that like Detroit is one of the angriest cities. And one of the metrics that they used for that was traffic congestion. Uh, I think we were like number three. I forget what number one was. It might have been New Jersey. I've never been to New Jersey. I could guess it might have some angry people in it. But yeah, it was pretty nuts on the interstate. But, you know, outside of that, I can open up with a complaint. I got back to Michigan and I've been driving around and I think this is a beautiful place. I was talking to a friend of mine. I was saying like, yeah, you know, I really love Michigan. I love the Detroit area. I like how much space there is. You know, I've been living in living in San Francisco. There's you're driving on tiny roads that are falling apart. Uh, it's surrounded by buildings that are like claustrophobically weighing down on you all the time. And now it's like, yeah, the roads are wide. 
they're usually empty. There's way more road than there is cars. I remember, I remember traffic here around here being worse. I guess that might, that's probably because of COVID. People are like hold up at home working. Ah, but it's been fine. I mean, and I love how green everything is. I love the smell of this place, like freshly cut grass. Yeah, there's just, there's just a smell, there's a feel to this place, the sounds of nature, like the birds you see. The way the woods look. My parents live in a place. They have they have woods right behind their house. It was kind of like the place that I lived in, Ann Arbor, when I when I lived here for a winter about six years ago. It you just had out in the back. There's like a deck, and there's woods behind it. Uh, we had that. They have the same thing. They just have a back deck, and there's there's this massive uh, patch of woods behind them. It was really thick. You really couldn't walk through it. Uh, the poison ivy in there and all that stuff. Animals, like you, you need a machete to get back there, but it's nice just to have it because you can sit there and watch the squirrels leap around. And I like going out there with morning coffee and just just chilling, enjoy the sounds of nature, the smells. It's, it's yeah, I haven't gotten that. And even in California, if you're if you're close to nature, nature is not nearly as lush as it is here. Something about it. It's just, it's just different, and I do love it. Okay, so there was a, there's a horror movie called It Follows, which I think came out in 2015, and I remember the very opening scene of that movie. Like, there's a girl who runs out of her house, and she like runs into the middle of the street and stands just in the middle of the street, and you know her father's like comes out and says, "Hey, everything all right?" And then she like runs back in the house. And I remember looking at that 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 street, that shot of that street, and I said, "That is Detroit. Like that is that is a bit more specifically suburban Detroit." I was like, "You look at the houses, you look at the trees." I was like, "I know that's the Detroit area. I don't think I've been to that particular street, but I know that is somewhere where I grew up." And I looked it up. That was actually filmed in Sterling Heights, which is one town over from where I grew up. In Troy, I just knew the thing is this: this place has a particular feel and a look to it, and I didn't appreciate that growing up. Like honestly, I, the, the, I remember like so. Okay, so I've done a lot of travel. Like a, I like going out and I like seeing new cities. I haven't gotten outside of the United States much, but within the country, I've done. A fair amount of travel, and when I when I travel, I don't like to do touristy things. I I don't just like to go do what you're supposed to do in any given city. I like to do some of that, but I like to just sort of stumble. So when I when I went to Boulder, I of course put myself up in a hotel, which is in some commercial district somewhere, like the commercial hub, but. I did a lot of walking when I was there. I was there for about a week. And I walked over around the university, kind of get a sense of what would it feel like to be a student here. And I just went and walked through random suburban neighborhoods. I like to do that. So if I have to get from point A to point B and the quickest route is like through some suburb, through some neighborhood of just residences, I'll do that. 
kind of look around and be like, so what does this place look like? If you lived here, what would the feel be? And I've kind of come to realize that when I was growing up, I always thought like, okay, a suburb is a suburb is a suburb and they all suck. You know, as the who said, teenage wasteland. You grow up in that sort of area. You're like, this is just, there's nothing to do. There's nowhere I can go. When I was growing up in Troy, we were like three miles from like the closest commercial anything. It was like three miles to a Kroger and a Blockbuster and a gas station. And that was it. There wasn't shit to do. Like you had a bike just to get to that. that. That's that's no prize. And so it's kind of like, yeah, the entire country is just all these this, this suburban shitholes. Uh, I don't think I would like to settle down in a suburb quite yet. I think the only reason to really do that is if you want kids or if you happen to like that sort of lifestyle. Nothing wrong with it. But, I, you know, a suburb is not a suburb is not a suburb. I think every place seems to have its own distinct flavor. Part of its nature, part of its architectural styles. So, yeah, there's something there's something to Detroit. And. Yeah, there's something about it I, I really do miss, at least suburban Detroit. I really don't know. I don't know the city of Detroit all that well. A typical pasty white kid who grew up, uh, you know, just sheltered in the suburbs. <laughs> uh, yeah. Plus, I mean, there's there's another thing I I wondered about too. I wondered about this recently. When I say recently, I mean like maybe a year ago. But I used to go jogging in Troy, where my parents live. And I used to go jogging in in college. Like I'd, I'd go jogging in East Lansing, up in Michigan State, like on Grand River. And so frequently, somebody would like yell out of their car window at me, like something derogatory, like, hey, faggot. You know, just because I was out jogging, I guess this is uh, something that incites homophobic remarks. I never understood it. But I, I thought to myself, that hasn't happened to me since I got to California. I was like, is that just because I'm now older and people don't care? Like, people are, like, thinking about yelling at me. They roll down their windows like, oh, wait, no, he's, he's like, in his 30s. Let's show him some respect. We're not going to. I was like, or is it because it's, like, a Detroit versus, you know, California thing? Well, I've been jogging since I got back, and people have yelled shit at me uh, out the window of their cars when they drive by a couple of times now. So I think that's a cultural thing. I think that's just bored suburban nerds. I don't know if they have some anger to take out on something like a passing, but the pedestrian they're driving by like that just does the trick, I guess. Yeah, the radio, too. I'm really surprised by the radio. Like I turned on. So I remember being in college and hanging out with people. And it was like I remember like there was Stained. Uh, the sort of like the new metal bands like Linkin Park. Uh, I don't hear those in California. Like, you turn on the radio station and then just kind of just turn on the radio and browse around the stations. And you look, you look, just sort of sample what's out there. You get some pop music. You get some talk radio. 
uh, none of it is Christian and none of it is this new metal alternative kind of stuff. Nothing new and nothing, you know, vintage like from 20 years ago. I get back into, you know, Michigan and start flipping around the stations. A bunch of it is like Christian stuff. I feel like a bunch of the radio stations that used to be rock are now Christian. Um, that's not specific to Michigan. I got a lot of that in the middle of the country. You're not going to find that in in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is decidedly not Christian. It's not terribly accepting of it. At the very least, it doesn't have much of a presence in the Bay Area. I'm not really sure why, but uh, but there's a lot of like the music I heard. I was like, oh, this is stuff that was on the radio like 20 years ago that I haven't heard since I'll, you know, since I've been in California. It's like when I get together with my brother and his friends when I'm home visiting Detroit, they're all listening to that stuff. And it's still, I thought it was just them being nostalgic. Like they're listening to music that they listened to when they were in college or high school. And now it's, 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 it's like still on the radio. You would never hear that in California. You'd fire it up and you're not going to find that. Country music, same thing. There's like country music stations that are just blasting that stuff. And that, that, that's not something you're going to find in the Bay Area. Not as easily. There's a whole bunch of cultural differences. I kind of think like, I love this place. It is beautiful. I'm not sure I could live here because I'm not sure it is a place that is... Uh, I don't know how to put this. I'm not sure it's a place that is quite set up to deal with my bullshit. You know, I think there's more of a kind of a, I don't know what the vibe is. I certainly don't want to be derogatory. It's just, I, I don't think it's not where I belong. I think this is my, probably the reason like 12 years ago, I was like, just, I need to get out of here. And I moved to California. And I'm not sure I found a place to belong in California either, but there's, this is definitely not the culture where I would find like-minded souls. You know, I don't cut loose to say I'm going to, you know, uh, do sports. going to watch the game. I'm into Michigan or Michigan State football. You know, I'm okay just like cracking a beer and hanging out on the back patio and grilling some meat. Like, I, I think, like, I understand, like, the habits I've kind of picked up in California. People would look at that and be like, what the hell are you doing? Have you forgotten your roots? Yeah, my roots always bored me. I never was into any of this crap, so... um. Yeah, I just remembered I have a dating profile too. Like the, that, that was one of the apps that I was using in San Francisco. I forgot about that and opened it up. Uh, and yeah, there's, I, I gotta, I gotta, gotta get rid of that thing, but I actually am keeping it because I'm scrolling through the women in Detroit and I'm not, I'm noticing some stark differences. Um, this is the other thing. Yeah. It's like, Women who are single who are about my age in Michigan, they're, they seem to be largely divorced with children. They don't seem like very complicated people, just, you know, 
yeah, I, I started a family, didn't quite work out, so now I'm, you know, on my own again. Uh, and ev- almost all of them are Christian. Uh, this is, again, in stark contrast. If you're looking at, at dating profiles of women in the in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, the same age range. There's almost no Christians, like almost no one is religious. And you do find some divorcees that have kids from a, a former marriage. But again, that is very, very rare. And I kind of wonder why that is. Is it? I guess you. I, I guess it might be because if you if you live in San San Francisco is so expensive. It's just it bleeds you in terms of the cost of rent. It's I don't know why the hell I live there. Career, I guess. But it's so expensive to live there that the only people who really end up there and staying there are people who have something going for them career-wise like you have to have some profession some job that you're you've put in a lot of effort like you've said in your 20s you're like i'm going to put off you know getting married put off having kids and raising a family and i'm just going to focus on uh, being a lawyer or something you know and then later on you're in your mid-30s and you say okay you know what it's time for me to i've gotten my shit together my life is settled I'm looking for someone to share it with. You know, I'll I'll start this whole thing. I feel like that is who is in the Bay Area. There's less of that in Detroit. I don't know if you find that everywhere, but it it seems like more like people just did the thing they were supposed to do. People got married. Some of them, for some of them, unfortunately, it didn't work out, so they got divorced, and they're like, well, crap, I'm in mid-30s. I got to get on a dating app and figure all this crap out. I empathize with that. That is no goddamn fun at all. The dating apps suck. But it is interesting. It's, I'm just noting the differences. I've never really paid attention to these sorts of things. Um, but I, I really don't think that this is a place I could I could settle down and be happy. I think it's nice to be it's nice to be back here. It's nice to be experiencing all this again. And now that I'm out of San Francisco, I'm kind of like the thing is wherever you are, there's always an entrenchment. You're always kind of like, well, I'm I'm here. I live in San Francisco. To move anywhere would be a pain in the ass. So it's really easier just to stay here. There's inertia. But now that I've like gotten out of San Francisco and I'm kind of mobile, it's like I can go pretty much anywhere I want to. Um, I don't necessarily have to go back to the Bay Area anytime soon. I have st- stuff in storage back there, so I plan on going back there. But I, it, you know, it's not like that's a huge expense. I can leave that stuff there for a while, just cruise around. I don't know if I'm feeling going back to San Francisco. There are elements of it I miss. I don't know. I'm gonna have to see like after after a winter in Michigan, you know. Like already a lot of the thoughts that I had, a lot of the habits that I had formed and thought patterns that were just kind of ingrained in me. As soon as you leave a place as soon as you're not living the same place you've been living for two years, all of that suddenly goes away. 
It's like your mind becomes a blank canvas and new stuff starts etching onto it. It's good and a bad thing. I, I haven't quite picked up the same exercise routines that I used to have, not with the same amount of discipline. I got to be more proactive about ingraining those in me in these early days where I'm getting settled in a new place. But there's there's bad thought patterns too that you leave behind. You can just you can just leave those completely in the past. So that's been nice. Yeah, I take off the seat. I don't know why I'm wearing my seatbelt. I'm sitting here in a parked car. Ah. Uh, yeah, so California and Michigan. I feel like I've been talking about that pretty much this whole time. That's mostly what I have to talk about. There isn't a whole lot. Uh, isn't a whole lot else. Yeah, living with my parents though. That is uh, that's actually going pretty well. I've kind of just come to. Uh, so, so my dad is definitely facing something he he is he's in cognitive decline they say that it's mild cognitive impairment according to the neurologist which i think is the umbrella term for there is discernible cognitive decline but we can't categorize it as anything specific yet so it isn't dementia it isn't alzheimer's and i think i think there are technical definitions to these things but he doesn't have those he just is mentally in decline and so I, I did kind of come home because my mom is shouldering all of this. She's taking care of him. And he's not that bad. He's he can he's still largely self-sufficient. He does need some reminders like take your medication, make sure you put it in the thing, the little receptacle that has Sunday through Saturday, you know. Do that every week so you know you know, you're you're set up to take only one dose per day. You know, uh makes food for him but he, he's generally pretty just watches tv uh he does a lot of puzzling but i mean it's you know i think it's a it's a significant source of stress for her and she's not the kind of person who is good at reaching out to ask for help i've never gotten the sense like she doesn't want to do it directly and so i'm I don't know what it is I can do. I mean, what I'm trying to do right now is just sort of if she has something to talk about, I listen and I try not to be any kind of additional burden on her, you know, so I, I don't just want to, I don't, I, I do my own dishes. I do other people's dishes if I can, you know, I, I, I don't just want to be like another mouth to feed another person who's like leaving messes around the house. Like I try and keep things tidy and just trying to support her in, in whatever way that I can. Uh, but my dad doesn't know that he has, there's some component of this sort of cognitive decline and it has a name, which I can't remember because it's some probably, probably some weird Greek or Latin thing based, but in essence, he doesn't know what's going on with him. He doesn't recognize that he is in cognitive decline. He's, if you ask him, I think he's going to say everything's hunky-dory, everything's great. And so I, I don't think he knows why I'm there. And so, you know, I come up and down the stairs. He's sitting on the couch watching television. He's kind of looking at me the way he always did. I remember that sort of like, I remember being upstairs on the second floor of my house 
when I was a kid growing up, like in middle school. And you want to go down to the kitchen to get something to eat. But it's like, my, I know my dad's in the living room and he's like watching television. And you know that if you come walking down the stairs, he's going to look over and just stare at you. You could be glad, like, I, I, I'm angry and I disapprove of something. And it could be that there's something he has, you know, has to unload about. So he'll yell at you. So you're like afraid, like, damn it, I'm hungry, but I don't want to face this. It's like the same thing. I'm like an adult now. And I'm like upstairs. I know he's in the living room watching television. The lights are out. And I, I go walking. I'm not afraid anymore. I just go walking. Down. I'm going to go eat whatever the hell I want, whenever I want. But I go walking down the stairs and he like, it kind of like looks over at me with his eyes shifting. And he like just glares. What the hell are you doing here? I disapprove. It's like, I love the guy. I do. Like the, one of the best dudes I know. And of course he, he you know, supported us growing up. So he's the best dude I know. But, uh, you know, that whole father and son dynamic, whatever he set up in his head, like that's, that's just there. You know, he's not going to like warm up or open up at any point. It's just what it, whatever is, is at this point, there's not going to be any further developments, which is fine. You know, I, I, there, I guess it would be easy to get bummed about that, but Eh, just it's good to be with him. I don't really care. You can like yell at me all he wants and be like, well, okay, at least you're here to yell at me. You know, I'm not taking any of this personally. But yeah, it's yeah, that's I guess there is really all all there is to say about that. So that's that's part of it. Uh, I'm really glad because I've I've now been there for two weeks. I think Friday. Two days ago was was two weeks, and so with this whole coronavirus thing going on, we sort of resolved to show social distance, wear masks, be very very careful as much as possible for the first two weeks. And so I've been I have been keeping my distance. I've been like outside on the deck, you know, just reading, not going in and like watching television. And my dad does puzzles all the time. He's like a full-time jigsaw puzzler at this point. Uh, and he, he gets really excited when I, when I, when I want to do those with him. I've been keeping myself at, at a fair distance and not interacting because of coronavirus. But now that it's been two weeks, like I can, I can puzzle. Um, my mother went out to do something this morning for an hour or two. And uh, I was up in my room and he came upstairs, came into my room, just sort of walked in and don't think he, I don't think he really understood that it's where I, like it's my personal space or it's meant to be. So he just kind of like walked right in and he seemed kind of apprehensive, like sort of ambling about aimlessly. And so I was, I was like, Hey, do you, uh, you want me to come help you with the, the puzzle you're doing downstairs? And he got really, really excited. He was like, yeah. And he saw his eyes light up. I was like, all right, let's go do the puzzle. So I went down there and just sort of, at that point, I just sat with him, you know, until uh, until my mom came home. Uh, we finished the puzzle. Then we went over and watched some TV. It's little things. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad I'm going to be able to puzzle with him. I actually do like jigsaw puzzling. 
I get into that way too much. Like if you, the way my dad just does it, like that's just what he does now. That's his full-time job. It's just jigsaw puzzling. He can really get in flow, lose track of time. Like he'll just spend nine hours. Like that definitely is something I do too. Like there was um, some girl I was dating. And I remember back, uh, I think this is about three years ago. Jesus, time flies. Like I was over at her place on a Sunday. She had a puzzle. And I sat down to puzzle and I was just uber focused on that thing. It was like cartoon fishes or something. And I looked down and started working on it. And I was determined to get the damn thing done. And at some point, I think the the girl I was with, like, brought me food and I I ate it. And all of a sudden, she's telling me it's like 9 or 9.30 at night. Like, six hours had gone by without me even being aware of it. And I had to, like, get the hell out of there and, you know, get home for some work to do for the next day. So I really like jigsaw puzzling. I kind of want to do one of those impossible puzzles. Like there's there's puzzles you can buy that don't have a picture on them. They're just a single color or clear pieces. So you basically have nothing to go on with the pattern. Like a thousand pieces of that. I wonder if I have the patience for that. You read reviews for that. Like people say like one star, I hated this. I spent three weeks on it. Got nothing but the border done. I hated this. Like, I kind of feel like I would just sort of sink into that. Like, it would take a while. But what the hell hurry am I in right now? What do I care? Like, that's the, since I got home, like, I'm, of course, living with my parents now. There's some part of me that, like, reflexively kicks up and says, what the hell are you doing living with your parents? You're, like, 38 years old. This is bullshit. You should be out there, like setting up a life for yourself. And then like immediately I, I come back and say, well, wait, actually the coronavirus is going on. I really can't get out there and uh, do the stuff I want to do or need to do quite the way that I, you know, it needs to be done because this, there's this goddamn virus going around. So like FOMO is there, but it's that, that reflex is like starting to not, It just, it keeps cropping up and I keep thinking, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not a factor right now. People have been saying that a lot. I've heard that from a lot of people, that there's, there's generally this FOMO feeling that is just suddenly not there. Like if you were just holed up in your place, doing nothing, you're reading, watching television, like people would, people basically feel like, okay, I'm missing something. There's something going on out there. I'm being a lazy piece of shit. I should really get out there and, you know, actually live my goddamn life. And people aren't feeling that so much anymore. It's kind of like, yeah, we don't, none of us have a choice. You know, just, just live the, uh, the internal life that you want to, you know, get to know yourself. Just do what you would do if you were under house arrest and you could, you know, you have all the time in the world. 
So yeah, on the, on the one hand, I still kind of feel like, all right, I, I guess I could be doing more with my time and my life, but you know, now's not the time to stress about that. Now, now there's actually like space to think about what comes next. Oh, and I think I talked about this. I think I, yeah, I talked about this a couple episodes ago. I think I published this one. But there was this girl that I connected with on one of the dating apps. I want to say back in back in April. And you know, we kind of connected. We had a lot of phone conversations which were definitely interesting. Like the first the first uh, time we got on the phone and spoke together, it was basically a 12-hour conversation. We got on the phone at, I want to say, 8 o'clock at night. And it didn't end until, like, she fell asleep on the phone the next morning. I remember just, like, listening to her, like, snore for, like, five minutes. And it just felt good because I'd been holed up, shelter in place for so long, not talk to anyone. It was good to just have that sort of closeness. Uh, in the end, that didn't work out. You know, we met a few times in person. We hung out, did things. Uh, went hiking together. Um, watched some television, watched a couple movies. But when it came down to it, I was like, okay, this is actually getting kind of serious. I was like, is this actually a good idea? Like once I sat there and forced myself into a decision... I looked at it and I said, no, this is, this is, this is not going to be good for either one of us. We're not a good match. There are elements of it that are good, but if you take the long perspective, this is not, not a good situation. Or it wasn't going to be a good situation in the long term. There was nothing wrong with it, really. Um, I just knew it wasn't going to work out. I know myself and I knew enough about her at that point. I was like, no. We're not compatible. And so I called her and let her know. You know we, I think we'd gone far enough that to just to just ghost her would have been kind of a dick move. And she obviously took it. There was some energy to the way she took it. There was an emotional reaction to the way she took it. And, you know... It was a short conversation. We hung up. And I just sort of like processed the feels around that. I'm like, well, okay. That's a person you kind of got to know, included in your life, and you're probably never going to ever talk to her again. That's it. So I just made peace with that. And I got a call from her a few days later. And it was she was just saying like, hey, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, I still care about you. I still value you as a friend. So I'd like to keep in touch. And I remember looking kind of sideways at that, like sort of cocked my head and saying, really? Because I, like I said the last time, I don't, I don't think actually should be friends. Like it, if, if both people are really, really mature, then I think it can work. If you understand healthy boundaries 
if you understand yourself. If any sort of energy crops up, if you're able to like maturely handle it and process it openly, then maybe. But I didn't get the sense that that would be the case from her. That was part of the reason I ended it. It was a large part of the reason I ended it. Because I was like, I don't think... I I got the sense she was a very angry person. And I don't mean overtly. I meant I, I, I got the sense she had some deep-seated anger issues that she had not dealt with. And that if things went much further, I was probably going to be the target of them. Like, she was going to need somebody to take them out on. Whoever she ended up with romantically was probably going to be the easiest target. I don't know if that's true, but that was my sense. And it definitely made conversations with her unpleasant at times. Like, there, there was, out of nowhere, suddenly there would be this sort of angry urge or she would seem frustrated by something and there wasn't any reason for it. There wasn't anything I could, I had done to prompt it. And I was like, okay, I can see where this is headed, you know? And I do remember that. Like the first conversation we had on the phone, like our first date, if you will, one of the first things she talked about at great length was how she's estranged from her parents She's, she doesn't, there were issues with her parents, especially her father. She hadn't talked to her father. Her father wasn't, she wasn't on speaking terms with him and she was barely on speaking terms with her mother. And essentially there was a whole lot of kind of angsty um, feelings there. And I was like, you're sharing all this with me on date number one. We haven't even been on the phone together for two hours and you are going into great depth about the strife you have with your parents. And part of me is thinking, the thing is she had a graduate degree in therapy and a bachelor's degree in psychology. So I thought to myself, you, you have to know that this is a major, major red flag. You're on, you're on a first date with somebody and they're talking about issues with their family of origin. You get the hell out of there. You run. Don't walk. There was no good reason for that. But she had a degree in therapy. I was like, you must know what this is. So maybe you're telling me because you're just trying to be upfront. You're trying to say, like, look, here are my issues. I'm working on them. I'm just trying to be as transparent as possible. I don't want there to be any surprises. And I mean, even that is a little bit worrisome because that can be one of two things. It can either be I'm being transparent with you and I just want you to know I'm working on these things. Bear with me. Or it could be, look, I got issues. I got problems. And you're just going to have to deal with them because I'm not changing. And I couldn't really tell which one it was from her. But I remember thinking, be very, very careful. Proceed with caution. Just remember that this happened. Don't gloss it over when you're evaluating whether or not you want to be with this person. Because somebody, yeah, somebody who's like very, very angry with their father and looking to date you like a girl, um, 
you, you want to be very, very careful there because chances are good. It's, it's that all that negative energy is going to be projected onto you. And yeah, it, the thing is like, I, I definitely, that's not a non-starter in and of itself, but you kind of have to look at that and say, given the person and everything else, knowing that I'm probably going to have to deal with that, is the person worth it? Do I care about the person enough that it's all the good outweighs that potential bad? And, you know, this is, this is not a bad person. She was, there's a lot about her to, to like. And I got to say, like, all things considered, without going into all the details, I'm really glad that I knew her. Uh, that relationship of, it was very short and not very deep, but it was, uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I knew her. She's a good person. We just wouldn't have been good together. But I talked about this before. Like there was, I told her that I was going to be leaving San Francisco. I told her that on a Saturday. Like as soon as I told my landlord, I pinged her and said, you know, hey, I'm, I am moving back to Detroit. I'm going to go crash with my parents for the duration of this, get some closeness with them. And she was like, oh, yeah, I've got this thing that I wanted to mail to you. Uh, I'll mail it on Monday. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be around for probably another 10 days. If you mail it on Monday, it should get to me. Uh, the scramble to move and get everything in line, uh, packed, stowed, cleaning up my place, like that just, I thought about it a couple times that week. I was kind of surprised. Like I think on that Friday, I thought it didn't show up. That's weird. Why not? But I, that was the last time I thought of it until I had already left. Like I was, I basically left about 10 days after I told her and I was driving almost to Nevada and I pinged her and said, you know, I forgot about that thing you were supposed to mail me. It didn't show up. And if you haven't mailed it, don't mail it. I'm, I'm not going to be living there anymore. And yeah, apparently she had just mailed it the day before that I left and she was quite irate about this. Like she was not shy about uh, voicing some, some anger. You, you could sense that even, even over text, text is ambiguous. You never really know. Then I, I knew she, I was like, it, she said some things that even sounded like, what did she say? The last thing she said to me was whatever figures. I don't know what that means because this was the first sign of any kind of conflict that I sensed in any of our communications at all. But looking back, I, I can't think of anything that we were texting about that she was angry about. She, at least she had nothing she expressed to me. So I don't know what figures she, it's kind of like, well, I should have known this was going to be I should have known you would do something like this. Like I, I, I've offered to mail you something and you forget to tell me you're leaving. That's frustrating. And I can see why she's frustrated, but her, her reaction was not proportionate to what I did. And what she said certainly is not the way I would have let a friend speak to me. So I, I think I mentioned that last time. I was I was kind of confused. Like I remember I got the text back 
you know, I said, like, the last thing I said to her was like, well, I appreciate you mailing it. You know, it may still reach me. You know, I. Innocent mistake. Uh, but that was it. And I didn't hear anything back from her. And I just was kind of like, since it ended with her being so angry with all that vitriol, I was like, OK, I think that just confirms what I was suspecting. And yeah, I, I'm not going to hear from her. Like, that's pretty much that's the end of that. That's pretty much the natural end. Like, you know, this is. This is what I'm thinking, you know, like, do you really want to be friends with me? Like, things got far enough. I'm pretty sure you don't want to be friends with me. Like, we're, we're not quite exes, but we're not quite. We're not quite nothing either. We are. We were something and then suddenly we weren't because I dumped you. And why would you want to be friends with me? Why would you want to invite that energy into your life? I didn't get it. But I actually thought about it and a couple of weeks went by. Um, I was at home for a little while and I like I, I thought of her. And I kind of wondered if that thing she mailed me was, was going to show up. I still wonder if it'll show up. But I was thinking back and I was like, I wonder if I should reach out to her because the way she left it, I was kind of like, that's, it sounds an awful lot. Like she has finally, she's devaluing me. She's like getting angry at me because she wants to distance herself from me. And I think that's just organically what happens after, you know, stuff that happened between us happened. That's just the natural conclusion. There really shouldn't be any kind of friendship or contact that remains. It doesn't make doesn't make any sense. But I had the thought, okay, maybe when I texted her, she was just having a really bad night. She was really angry about something that had nothing to do with me. And she just took it out on me. Now, I wouldn't let that slide. If we talked again, I would have to say, look, I... Don't appreciate that. If we're friends, then I, I expect better from you. I at least expect you to be communicative and not let resentment build up because it sounds like that's what happened. So I just need you to be honest with me. Don't let the anger build to the point where it erupts like that. You know, just be honest. And so I went on to, we had connected on Instagram and shortly after I broke up with her, she friended me on Facebook, which also confused me. And so when I when I had this thought, like two weeks after this unloading on me with anger, I went onto Instagram and saw that she had unfollowed me and removed me from her followers list. And I went into Facebook and saw that she had unfriended me. And I was like, oh, okay. There you go. That answers that question. Uh, you know, so part of me was thinking, you know, maybe I should handle this a little more gracefully. Maybe I shouldn't write this person off because after all, it is it is COVID times. People are under a lot of stress. We're all kind of isolated in our own ways. And I kind of thought, well, okay, maybe she got angry at me, didn't mean to. And maybe I should... Maybe I should just be understanding. Yeah, she got angry, but don't take it personally. Nope, she 
that was definitely exactly what I suspected. So I've, you know, I guess I've talked about this for quite a while. I don't know if there's a lesson here um, for anyone out there listening to this. Probably just what I said before. Like, I don't know if these are signs you can spot when you're dating. But there are, don't, I, basically, I think what I've learned is don't ignore red flags, not for any reason. You can't explain them away. And red flags are never showstoppers, but the fact that I was kind of like, well, she's a therapist, so she should know these are red flags, so I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Nope. Nope, I, I don't think, I don't think people who go into therapy, um, probably people who go into therapy probably know there are things wrong with them on some level. That's why they do it. Maybe. I have no idea. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a bummer. Like, it, um, I guess it kind of feels, that's, that's ultimately what it feels like. It's like, I reject her, and she's like, well, okay, I still want to be friends. And then, like, three or four weeks later, she's like, oh, the hell with you, motherfucker. I'm sick of you. Like, so basically, it's like, you know, you don't reject me. I reject you. I feel like, in hindsight, that's what she was setting me up for. And I think you have to kind of expect that. That's why when you, when you, if you break up with somebody, you want to make a clean break. Do not stay in touch with them. Because chances are, chances are probably pretty good that there's, there's some smoldering resentment there and it's going to come out. So yeah, like I said, unless you're really mature, both of you, and you know how to process your feelings, and there's like a, otherwise a, a really strong potential for friendship there, don't be friends with an ex. Just no good reason for that. But anyway, I hope she's doing well wherever she is. This is not to trash her. Like I said, she's a pretty good person. And besides, we all we all know people like this. We've all met people like this in our lives. And you just, you just want them to get better. You want them to feel better. You know, you just come from a place of pain. So, you know, the correct response is compassion. Yeah, I'm only talking about that for so long because it, what, what else is there? I've talked about my relocation to Michigan. I have talked about, you know, crashing with my folks. Then there was that. That seemed like a story that actually had a moral. If it was a moral, I'll tend to expound on something longer than I might otherwise want to. I'm doing it for my audience that doesn't exist. Anyway, it's actually been pretty productive. I've like kind of been forced to just... There's, there's no distractions, really. Like, I no longer have my own dedicated TV. I will soon. But, yeah, I just go out in the, on the back porch, on the deck, just sit in the, listen to the, the wind blow through the trees, and just doing a whole bunch of reading, which is great. Also interviewing for, for jobs, too. That's been, that's been getting... Getting traction there. So this this I mentioned before, like so Facebook, 
I heard it about Facebook. It's apparently true of Google and Amazon. But part of the reason that salaries were so terribly inflated in the Bay Area in tech jobs is because the cost of living in the Bay Area is so high. And the cost of living in the Bay Area is so high because of the tech jobs. Like it's at some point, these two things started feeding off of each other. There's a sort of feedback loop. And, you know, now a massive part of the salaries you make in tech are just to compensate people for the cost of living they have to pay to be in the Bay Area, to be close to the tech companies. Uh, as soon as it was, Google says, Facebook says, everyone says, like, you can just work from home. And it became clear that this was not going to be a short-term thing. We're in this for the long haul. People started taking off. Like, I don't have to pay Bay Area rent. If, I, if I'm not in a lease, I'm just going to move somewhere cheap and keep that Bay Area tech salary and just pocket a whole bunch of extra, whatever the excess is. And people were like moving to Mexico, you know, Thailand, wherever you can go and live cheaply, as cheaply as possible and, and still do your job. People were taking advantage of this. So Facebook, Google, all the big companies, they said, well, if you relocate during the shelter in place, we're going to adjust your salary down for the cost of living. So if you move somewhere cheaper, we're going to reduce your salary roughly commensurate with the cost of living difference. So I've got like three companies that I think are currently discussing offers with them. And the one that I really was interested in, the one I really wanted, like the job I would have jumped at, they do this. They, they basically said, okay, well, you've relocated to Detroit. So your compensation is not going to be what we quoted you earlier on. It's going to be significantly less. And the other two companies are not doing that. They're not tiering their compensation. So it would be more in line with what I was expecting. And so now I have this dilemma. Like, it's a long weekend. It's Labor Day tomorrow. So I've, I've, I've kind of just taken the long weekend to think about these things. And I, I don't quite know what I should do here. Should I, should I take the job that I want, but it pays significantly, significantly less than the other ones and the other ones I wouldn't mind either. I mean, they're, they're certainly ones I could learn from and where I would get, get to get a lot of experience, work with some great people. I think they would be solid companies, but they're not, they're, they're, it would be, I mean, it's not a trivial amount of money either. Like in terms of yearly salary, it's quite substantial. And I don't mean to complain about this, like this is the worst thing in the world. Like at least I'm being offered a job in this economy right now with so many people being out of work. I'm not whining about, you know, some marginal decrease in salary because I'm, I'm living someplace with lower rent. Uh, but it's apparently a huge topic right now. Like I've talked to the recruiters about it. They're pretty honest. They're like, this is unprecedented. And we're really just 
we're, we're paying people less because we don't want them to take advantage. You know, I do understand it from the company's perspective. If you're, if you're Facebook and you have somebody who moves away from the Bay Area, like they were in Palo Alto, paying Palo Alto rent, and you were a large part of what you were paying them was to cover that rent, and they suddenly move to Wisconsin, and you go to hire somebody in Wisconsin, uh, do you pay them like the Bay Area salary or do you pay them Wisconsin salary? Suddenly you have a disparity there. Like somebody's making more just because they used to live in Palo Alto. So, I, I mean, I get it. There's, there's, it's really not a, a circle you can square very easily. And all the companies are currently facing this. Like they're, the big ones are saying, we don't know how we make this fair for everyone. And, you know, I, I think to myself, well, okay, the, the companies that aren't tiering their salaries, they're smaller startups. And so I wonder if they're just not tiering their compensation yet. You know, like at a smaller startup in the Bay Area, you're just trying to, like, attract and get as many people who are talented in the door as you possibly can. Like if you're a recruiter, if you're HR, you just want to get butts and seats enough so that you can actually deliver on the promise of the company and be profitable and, you know, sustain the company. I don't think you have a whole lot of time to worry about the thing that Facebook and Amazon and Google with their significant resources have had a chance to worry about. You're not thinking, how do we adjust compensation down? Uh, but if the big guys are doing it, then eventually the small ones will too. The smaller startups will eventually figure this out and they will follow suit. So even if I do take one of the higher paying gigs, it's possible that that changes in well, the next next few months. Smart Money says they, they probably will. This will eventually spread everywhere. In which case, I would have turned down the job that I really want uh, for financial reasons, and then the financial reasons won't even hold in the long term. Anyway, kind of a bummer, but to be honest, it does it does feel good to be interviewing. It does feel good to be back on that horse. And it seems like I probably will be working, I would guess, by the end of this month. It's September, so probably by October I will I will have a gig and will have been working for you know, a couple weeks at that point. That's what I'm hoping. And I'm I'm really ready ready to be back there. I'm uh, I'm enjoying my downtime now. I'm enjoying getting a lot of reading done, but I'm also very ready to be back in the game and actively learning for a purpose that isn't just, you know, doing well in interviews. But yeah, this is, I don't know what the solution is here. It's a, a weird situation. Don't quite know what I'm going to do. I told the recruiter that he was trying to like sell me on the company's position. He's trying to explain it to me, like why they're doing this. Like, no, no, I get it. I get it. I just, I'm, I'm not asking you to make an exception for me. I really get that you can't. And if you did that, it wouldn't be fair. But this is, as you said, unprecedented. And I don't quite know how to confront the question. I don't know how to confront the decision that I have. I don't know if you're out there and you work in tech, maybe you can relate. I, uh, 
Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I haven't been doing this podcast for the last couple of weeks, partly because I've been focused and partly because there isn't really anywhere in my parents' house that I can do this without being overheard. I don't think. I haven't I haven't quite figured out if I go into my bedroom or my office upstairs and shut the door. I don't know if you you can make out what I'm saying if you're down below in the kitchen or if you're watching TV in the living room. I tried going down to the basement and doing it down there, but I think you can you can very easily make out what people are saying. I prefer to do this with privacy. At the very least, I don't want my parents hearing the crap that I'm talking about on here. Like I know they could like figure out that I have a podcast. I think my mom knows that I have a podcast. I told her I'm doing this. And I was like, you probably don't want to listen to it. Like not because I don't want you to, but because there's really no reason for anyone to listen to this. And you know, not not even my like it's the thing is I'm telling my mother you probably won't be interested in this. That should tell you I'm not doing this for anyone but me. This is just my thing. This is just an excuse for me to like talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about within reason uh, on something of a regular basis. You know, it's to keep me from calling up my friends every time I have a some pseudo intellectual opinion I want to talk about. Essentially, that's it. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, they have a. My parents have a cat. And I have to say, that's one of the things I like the most about being. Besides them, that's one of the reasons I like being at home with them because they have this very skittish, very shy cat. It's not like one of those cats that acts like a dog. Very much a leave me the hell alone kind of cat. And I've gotten better. Like I always used to be, I encounter a cat or somebody who doesn't like me, like a, like a cat who's just like, I don't care about you. Like, leave me the hell alone. Uh, when I was really young, I used to go over and be like, hey, I, I got to figure out how to earn this from you. I'm going to like play with you. I'm going to give you food. You know, cheap tactics, which never, never worked. Uh, essentially, I've kind of learned about the psychology of a cat which probably bears some resemblance to the psychology of of dating. And it's like the cat is always like looking at me when it thinks I'm not aware of it. Like it, I'll look up and it's just staring at me. And I just don't even pay attention to her. I just ignore her. Like, I know you're there. I don't care about you, though, because I got my own thing going on. Like, she actually started warming up to me pretty quickly with that attitude. Like, I just, I, I'm not interested in you. Like, you want me to leave you alone? You leave me alone. And so she actually has been pretty, pretty friendly. Uh, my parents got a rug in their basement, which is otherwise not, not that furnished. And I went down there and just was lying on it. Uh, like the big Lebowski. Like he is in that scene where he's got his Walkman on. And uh, he wakes up and they punch him in the face. And then he has that uh, dream with the Bob Dylan song. I just like to go down there and lie on that thing like that. And uh, the cat comes down and just sort of... What it does is it paces the perimeter of the carpet. 
I don't know what it's doing, but it's just like circling me. It does that a few times and then it jumps up on a table and just sort of stares at me. It's like it's like kind of wants to be close to me, but it doesn't want to. Doesn't want to quite want to come and snuggle up yet. I don't know what the hell. Like, cats are so weird. My grandma had a plaque once because she loved cats. And it basically said, like, you know, the things cats do, like the qualities that women love in cats, they hate in men. Like, cats are always like, just leave me alone. I want to be alone. Like, don't bother me. They, like, go out at night and they just come back whenever the hell they want. They're like, they do everything on their own terms. Whatever you want them to do, they sort of refuse to be corralled. Like, the white wives complain about the same qualities in their husbands, but they love them in cats. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, that's what I always think of when I, there's some, some cat being difficult, just being elusive and aloof. Probably very much the way I am, but, but anyway, it's, I think I've gotten enough out here. The sun is starting to come out. It was, uh, before a pretty rainy day. And so the car is starting to heat up. I'm starting to feel like I'm in that oven. And I think I've gotten enough of a stretch my legs enough and been out. I don't know. Maybe I'll go play some disc golf. There's a disc golf course here. My brother does that quite a bit. It's another one of those things. I don't think you find that in California, but you find it here. There's a lot of people that play disc golf, and there are disc golf courses all over the place. As a matter of fact, I think Oakland County, which is just north of Detroit, I think it has, like for a square mile, more disc golf courses than most other places. I think it's up there, if not the top five and the top ten. But so my brother does it. He's got a, a massive, he has so many like discs that he just has a, a pile in his garage that he never uses. You know, the ones he uses are in a big bag in his car. He just has so much overflow that he's like, here, I'll just, I'll just, you can have these to borrow, you know, while you're here. So I actually have a few drivers, a mid range and a couple of putters in my trunk. And I, could, I can't quite see. I don't know if there's anyone out there right now. If there was no one on the course, I might go play it. Ah, not today. I actually don't even know. I don't know how to... I got to watch some videos and figure out how to properly disc golf. I don't even know if I want to be like a disc golfing guy. Anyway, yeah. Going to wrap this up. Going to get my air conditioning on. Drive home and uh, see what the hell's going on back there. Uh, happy pandemic out there in shelter-in-place world. I hope you're staying safe, masking up if you want to. Not masking up, well, you know, that's your right. I hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're taking care of your family and your friends and staying in touch, keeping close contact, washing your hands, all that stuff. I wish you well. Until the next time. Be good. This is Jim signing off. Cheers.